0: This is Matt Pennington with Radio Free Asia. Welcome to South China Sea Currents, our weekly podcast on what's happening in the South China Sea. I'm joined by our South China Sea reporter, Drake Long, to talk about what he's been writing about this week for RFA and Banar News. How's it going, Drake?
1: Good. Power was out for 24 hours, but uh, it's back now, so that's good.
0: Okay, yeah, we've been having storms around D.C. Anyway, mm-hmm. weather is perking up now, and we're going to talk about South China Sea. This week we focus on Indonesia, whose position on the South China Sea has always been a bit of an, an enigma to outsiders. It doesn't regard itself as among the disputants over the rocks and reefs that are also claimed by China, but it clearly has an important stake in the South China Sea. It's periodically had confrontations with China in waters around the Natuna Islands that Indonesia occupies. And this week, Indonesia held large-scale military exercises in the South China Sea with more than 20 military vessels, as well as aircraft, and it practiced an amphibious assault on an island. And this suggested that this was an effort by Indonesia to assert its maritime sovereignty. So, Drake, what should we read into these drills? Is Indonesia signaling a more muscular stance on the South China Sea? Uh,
1: muscular may not be the right word for it. So the, the exercise was focusing on the defense of terrestrial waters, the defense of outlying islands that Indonesia has. You could say that it's aimed at sort of reminding people that Indonesia does have the capability to defend the tuna if necessary. But uh, the main thing to remember here is that China is not the only country that indonesia periodically runs into near Natuna island there's also a situation with vietnamese illegal fishermen that float around in the area this is probably not aimed at them per se this is i'm just saying it's aimed at other countries in general just reminding them you know we do have this force that can defend our terrestrial waters and our coasts if necessary on top of that there's been a lot of talk in indonesia for a while about setting up a new command base a new military facility on Natuna island and the rationale for that is about it's a mix of there's worries about China's more assertive posture in the South Tennessee. And it's also because Indonesia wants to experiment with more inter-service cooperation with its armed forces. So, you know, with this exercise, you have the Marines, you have the Navy, you have the Air Force all kind of working in tandem. That's kind of what they want to roll out in the Natuna Islands eventually.
0: It kind of makes sense because Indonesia is this vast archipelago and perhaps more than any other of the Southeast Asian nation. It can be viewed as a a truly maritime nation because it's Mm -hmm. so huge and sprawling, and getting around by sea is so important. Fisheries is incredibly important. And in the past, it's fiercely defended its fisheries from intrusions by outside fishing boats. So we understand that. But what's kind of new happening here on its view on the South China Sea?
1: So for those of you who are listening, you may not necessarily know this, but Indonesia does not consider itself a claimant in the South China Sea, but it's sort of informally brought into the grouping of claimants like Vietnam, Philippines, Malaysia proper, because while Indonesia does not acknowledge having a dispute with China, China's nine dash line does extend into the waters around the Tuna Island. And the tuna is the furthest northeast point of Indonesia's territory. So it's the only part of Indonesia that extends into the South China Sea. So Indonesia has a weird, awkward kind of position to where it says, you know, we dispute China's claims of the waters around the tuna Island. We dispute the Nine-Dash Line, but we don't fundamentally think we have a dispute with China. We're not going to negotiate on it. And that's actually what they told China point blank a few weeks ago. China said, you know, it seems like we have a dispute in the South China Sea. Why don't you and I negotiate our maritime border? Indonesia said, there's no negotiation. Uh, we're in the right. We have a proper maritime border around the tuna, and your claims don't affect our decision-making on that whatsoever. That's kind of the issue. And it, it was not necessarily pushed to the fore until last December when you had a Chinese fishing fleet and Coast Guard vessels suddenly approach Natuna on the border inside the EEZ and pressuring Indonesian fishermen out of the area. That seemed to remind Indonesia for the first time in a while that there actually is a bit of a threat of a pressure campaign from China in those waters, even though it's the absolute furthest point of the nine-dash line that one can go. So you see this exercise, you see other things like Indonesia's diplomatic efforts to other ASEAN countries and to countries like India, and you can only come to the conclusion that Indonesia, since that Natuna incident, has been a little bit more wary about China. And I think that there's still a lot of caution about saying, you know, it's definitively against China or against China's claims or wading into the South China Sea dispute. But you definitely take these things together and you just think that Indonesia perceives that the northeastern part with Natuna is maybe a little bit more vulnerable, maybe a little bit less well defended than they thought and just a cause of concern.
0: Hasn't Indonesia taken some diplomatic steps in joining other nations in expressing its rejection of China's maritime claims in the South China Sea?
1: Yes, actually. So that's the other recent development, is Indonesia joined this chorus of diplomatic notes to the UN alongside Malaysia, Vietnam, the Philippines, the United States, and now Australia, saying that China's claims are inconsistent with the United Nations Conventional Law of the Sea, And China needs to abide by the 2016 Permanent Court of Arbitration Award. That's the the much vaunted landmark ruling between the Philippines and China that definitively knocked down all of China's claims in the South China Sea. So there was no legal basis for them under international law. It kind of set the precedent for the South China Sea dispute. China basically ignored it for four years. A lot of other countries didn't bring it up because they didn't think it was worth it. But now you have... Vietnam, the Philippines, the United States, Australia, Malaysia, and now Indonesia, all bringing it up at the same time. So Indonesia has taken a very cautious but very noteworthy rhetorical step towards reiterating, you know, we have to stick to UNCLOS. UNCLOS is the basis for order in the South China Sea, in Southeast Asia more generally. REEZ around the tuna is based off of UNCLOS. You can't infringe on that. Please abide by UNCLOS and please abide by the 2016 PCA order. And then on top of that, you also have Indonesia signing on to the chairman's statement at the 36th ASEAN summit, which said, you know, we want freedom of overflight, we want freedom of navigation in the South China Sea. So a lot of rhetorical support, a lot of unanimity, or at least some consensus on the South China Sea issue vis-a-vis China.
0: Now, I remember when Secretary of State Pompeo issued his tough statement two weeks ago, I think now, about China's maritime claims and rejecting many of them as being completely unlawful. Pompeo said that the U.S. stood with Southeast Asian allies in protecting their sovereign rights to resources. And when he said that, he also, he in fact, cited the Natuna Islands, didn't he?
1: Yes, he did. Yeah, that was definitely on purpose. I mean, he cited areas of concern like Vanguard Bank, the Natuna Islands, Mischief Reef, the waters of Brunei. So he was talking about all the claimants in the South China Sea or countries affected by China's behavior in the South China Sea, aside from China. So that's just a sign that there's an emerging consensus among the other claimants and stakeholders that China's attitude towards the South China Sea is very problematic. And they want to bring up international law. They want to bring up UNCLOS in the 2016 award uh, more commonly. Pompeo's statement was pretty explicitly saying China's claims to the waters around Natuna are not consistent with international law, with the 2016 ruling, with UNCLOS more broadly, what have you. And that's basically Indonesia's position, too. So you're seeing some alignment there.
0: Indonesia may be inching in a new direction a little bit in its diplomatic position, but fundamentally, it's always sought to avoid an overt confrontation with China. But with these comments from Pompeo, do you think that you could see Indonesia align itself a little bit more with the US as the US takes a stronger stance in the South China Sea?
1: Well, I'd say that if you look at the, the diplomatic note that Indonesia set saying, you know, abide by the 2016 ruling, abide by UNCLOS, if you look at its statement at the ASEAN summit, if you look at this exercise most recently, and you look at a lot of the reforms Indonesia has made to its Coast Guard to more effectively protect the waters around tuna, I think that alignment is already happening. Not in a a stark alliance type of way, just, you know, a very modest, gradual inching towards agreeing not specifically with the U.S., but with ASEAN and the U.S. on the South China Sea dispute. And I think that it's far more likely that Indonesia is going to diversify its partnerships a little bit. Uh, You're already seeing some outreach to India. There was a memorandum of understanding that was signed last week between India and Indonesia's Coast Guard. That's very clearly about reaching out to outside powers to give a little bit more weight to Indonesia's position in the South China Sea. You're seeing more discussions between Indonesia and ASEAN states like Vietnam, the Philippines, Malaysia, what have you. So I think the alignment with the USA is happening, but it's with the, it's alignment with the USA and everybody else as well. They're still very wary about overtly siding with the USA on anything.
0: So it sounds like quite a delicate diplomatic dance that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So let's turn to another country that has been more outspoken on the South China Sea this week, and that is Australia, which has sort of signaled that it's stiffening its resolve. It's recently taken part in drills, military drills with U.S. aircraft carriers in the South China Sea. And now it's sort of upped its its game diplomatically as well. Can you tell me a little bit about that, Drake?
1: Yeah. So, you know, in contrast to Indonesia, which is a very cautious, like-minded nation, you could say, Australia is a pretty forthright ally of the USA. They've released a diplomatic note, July 23rd, where they explicitly say, we believe that China's claims to the waters in the South China Sea are illegal. They do not have maritime rights to the same submerged features that the USA said. We are also agreeing that they need to abide by the 2016 Permanent Court of Arbitration Award. And we are also reiterating the importance of UNCLOS. So that's a pretty explicit statement saying that we find China's claims to the South China Sea illegal, at least the maritime claims. And that's very, very close and very closely aligned to what the USA said, what Pompeo said last week. So Australia is also just full-throated giving its support behind this new consensus. It's very interesting. Unlike the USA, Australia has ratified the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea. So this is more of reiterating its support for UNCLOS. But by taking a stance on the 2016 award, I think it's sending a much stronger message to Beijing about how Australia sees its interests in the South China Sea.
0: Now, Australia, like the United States, isn't actually a claimant in the South China Sea. So what's its interest in speaking up on this?
1: Well, I mean, most of Australia's trade goes through there, as far as I know. I mean, South China Sea is a gateway for trade for everybody. But Australia in particular, most of its trade goes to Northeast Asia through that area. And Australia has perceived China's behavior in that area to be very, very worrying. You've seen trilateral exercises between the USA, Japan, and Australia in the Philippine Sea. Australia has exercised with the US in the South China Sea. They've performed phone ops with the US. It's a pretty clear message that they find the developments there worrying. On top of that, there's some general tension between Australia and China over a whole number of things. It's, it's a bit of a web, but relations between Australia and China have really taken a downturn lately.
0: Right. I think uh, China was deeply annoyed when Australia called for an investigation into the cause of the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, Beijing was warning that this could impact trade and tourism. But on a sort of more strategic level, hasn't Australia signaled that it, it sees China now as being more challenging and a security threat? Yeah,
1: so Australia put out this 2020 strategic defense update, which is its its planning document for its armed forces, basically. And it's basically saying, we want to shape the external environment instead of focusing on specifically homeland defense. And I mean, that, that sounds like a jumble of words. but Basically, they're saying that, we are not going to focus solely on defending Australia from some type of invader. We're going to be focusing on forward deploying forces and working with allies and putting a more aggressive presence in areas like the South China Sea to stop countries, they don't explicitly name China, but it's pretty much clearly about China. We want to prevent those countries from dominating those spaces and then threatening Australia later on. So it's a very proactive type of defense strategy. And I think Australia has taken a lot of steps that is consistent with that message even before they published that defence strategic update. But that seems to be the plan going ahead. They want to have a proactive attitude, a proactive stance in the South China Tennessee. They view themselves as a stakeholder. That's the basics of it.
0: This week, Secretary of State Pompeo issued the latest kind of hawkish speech on China by a, a member of the Trump administration when he was saying, you know, the, the old paradigm of blind engagement with China has failed, we must not return to it. And he was talking about sort of setting up a, an alliance of like-minded nations, democracies that want to push back against China. Now, Australia is obviously sort of regarded as being part of this camp. But do you think that there are gonna be many other nations that join this um, tougher diplomatic stance on the South China Sea?
1: It's tough to say. I would say that if you look at the quad countries, if you look at Australia, Japan, and India, they already seem to have some alignment on the South China Sea issue, or at least some tacit acknowledgement that they all have the same interests there and China's behavior worries them. And to me, that's kind of enough to be a like-minded coalition of democracies. However, the bigger issue is, are you going to form a coalition with countries outside of the region? So outside of Southeast Asia and East Asia, are you going to be able to get, you know, Western European democracies on board with this? Some countries like France have pretty clear stakes in the South China Sea. Other countries, you know, Germany, they just don't see it that way. And actually on a conference call with his German counterpart today, I believe, uh, the Chinese foreign minister Wang Yi basically said, You know, I don't want the USA's attitude towards us aims at dividing countries and aims at splitting us from our partner states. Uh, But it's never going to work. They're going to wage this ideological battle on us. But other countries are strong enough to stay independent and uh, like minded with China or at least independent thinking. So I think that's kind of an uphill battle, but we'll wait and see.
0: Well, thanks for talking us a little bit through the geopolitics of this and also about Indonesia's view on the situation in the South China Sea. If you've got any questions or feedback about what we've been talking about today, please email us on South China Sea, that's all one word, at rfa.org, or follow Drake on Twitter. His handle is DRM underscore long. And please check out Jake's previous articles on South China Sea at rfa.org. And BanarNews.org. And you can also catch up there on our previous podcasts. I'm Matt Pennington with Drake Long, the South China Sea reporter for Radio Free Asia and Banar News. This podcast series is created by Leo Kim and produced by Radio Free Asia. Thank you for listening and please join us again.